Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that looks at the fantasies and fallacies of anything to do with motoring and transport. I'm David Brown and in this program we have news stories including Ford gives up on selling sedans, Mercedes introduces another EV, Polestar Electric Roaster set for production, and a better way to create trails on disused rail lines. We have two feature stories about the Shannon's Classic, a display of vehicles from over 50 clubs, including cars, motorbikes, scooters, military vehicles, police vehicles, ambulances and fire engines, held at the Sydney Motorsport Park. We have a chat with one of our producers and researchers, Florence Fuller, who came along to the event, and we interview Brian Jubb, who restored a 1923 Peugeot 163 van and had it on display. For more information, go to drivenmedia.com.au and we have our Facebook page and we've just started an Instagram page. So that's what we have in line for today. Let's start with the news. The Victorian Automotive Chamber of Commerce is calling on parties contesting the upcoming Victorian state election to address ongoing long-term issues in the automotive industry. Elections have typically been cases of much flag-waving, and offers of a few big projects which require a ribbon-cutting event both to turn the first sod and then, of course, to open the project. If the same party is not still in power when it is finished, then they emphasise that it was their idea in the first place. Is the real need for governments to address systemic issues? Jeff Willem is the CEO of the VACC. The point you made there is very, very important. And I think there's been a call for years to have a whole lot of policies that are actually dug into agency policies so that your roads policy and your environmental policy and your transport policies, for example, that they remain consistent irrespective of the government that comes in and out. And of course, we don't really have that in the way that we'd like to. And one of the things that organisations like the VACC, fear is the wrong word, but we get very concerned with is a constant shifting with governments coming in and going out and the policy platform changes. We have a full interview with Jeff in next week's Overdrive program, which will also be put on our website. Ford has all but given up on selling sedans in Australia. By the end of the year, they will cease selling their only remaining sedans, the Hot Hatches, the Focus ST, Focus STX and Fiesta ST, leaving the Mustang sports car as their only vehicle categorised as a traditional passenger car. The company will concentrate on SUVs, commercial vehicles and electrification. The restriction of supply of semiconductors has led to some companies pondering special models with reduced features to cut down on their demand of these scarce items, but Ford has gone further and said it is one of the reasons for discontinuing these models. Ford is likely to run out of stock of these hatches before the end of the year. In the first half of 2022, they sold only 102 Focuses, and they have only procured another 40 vehicles. And they have sold only 71 Fiestas so far this year. The final number they will get is not clear, but it is not likely to be high. In the same period, Ford sold over 22,700 Ranger Utes. President and CEO of Ford Australia, Andrew Burkick, did say that Ford is looking forward to upcoming performance vehicles. The electric Mustang SUV would presumably be one of these. 
Mercedes has brought a fourth electric vehicle model onto the Australian market, the EQB, a small SUV. They are already selling two SUVs and one large sedan electric vehicles. Their current EQA is a compact SUV and their EQC is a medium-sized SUV. As the name suggests, the EQB fits in between the two, although it is still in the same category as the smaller model. There are two specification levels. The 250 has a single motor producing 140 kilowatts and a credible 385 newton metres of torque. In standard form, it has five seats with a seven-seat option. It has a rated range of 371 kilometres. The second specification level is the 350 Fomatic, which is a much sportier version, with dual motors giving a total of 215 kilowatts and a huge 520 newton metres of torque, and with all-wheel drive, it can accelerate from 0 to 100 kilometres an hour in 6.2 seconds, and its rated range is 360 kilometres, although ranges are often hard to achieve and are typically reduced further with a lot of heavy acceleration. The EQB 250 is priced at $87,800 plus on roads, with a third row of seats adding an extra $2,900. The EQB 350 Formatic is priced at $106,700 plus on roads. In the first half of 2022, full electric vehicles represented 1.7% of all new vehicle sales, but for Mercedes, their electric vehicles represented 4.5% of their sales. The Swedish electric car company Polestar has confirmed plans to put their Roadster into production. It is expected to launch in 2026. The concept vehicle was revealed in Los Angeles in March as the Polestar 02, but will now be called the Polestar 6. The hardtop convertible will be built on Polestar's bonded aluminium platform. It will feature a high-performance 800-volt electric architecture, already confirmed for Polestar 5. This includes output of up to 650 kilowatts, that's 884 horsepower in the old measure, and 900 newton metres of torque from a dual motor powertrain with a targeted 0 to 100 kilometre an hour time of just 3.2 seconds. To celebrate the launch, 500 numbered units of a special Polestar 6 LA Concept Edition are planned to be produced. They will exclusively feature the sky blue exterior, light leather interior and unique 21-inch wheels of the original Polestar 02 concept. As is the trend for modern, distinctive special vehicles, interested customers in all Polestar markets can now reserve a build slot online, hopefully to get a car in about four years' time. The New South Wales Government's Rail Trails Bill has passed through Parliament, empowering regional communities to convert disused rail corridors into walking and riding tracks. The bill will provide a streamlined process that may enable regional rail trails where and when the community wants them. Minister for Cities and Active Transport, Rob Stokes. The bill unlocks opportunities for communities and fixes outdate and onerous legislation that required a change to the Act for each rail trail. The government says that the rail trail between Tumbarumba and Rosewood saw the amount of money spent in the local economy increase 20% 
following its opening in mid-2020. It costs $4.9 million and has had over 15,000 visits so far. The Northern Rivers Rail Trail is a current project costing $7.8 million, which is expected to create an extra 200 jobs and attract 82,000 visitors each year in and around the Tweed communities of Mwilumba to Crabs Creek. All rail trails will be created under a lease agreement of up to 30 years with the local council. The agreement allows, however, the Minister to terminate the lease should the corridor be required for a future transport use. And that has been the news. You're listening to Overdrive. Overdrive recently went to the Shannon's Classic display of over a 1,000 classic cars from car clubs in New South Wales mainly. And we went there along with our producer and researcher, Florence Fuller, who was perhaps the first time had seen so many cars, classic cars, in the one place at the one time. Florence, were you overwhelmed by the number of vehicles? Not necessarily overwhelmed, but it was a lot more cars than I had expected, to (laughs) say the least. But it was great to see that there's that many people that are that passionate about all their different cars it wasn't just the cars, was it, that people had brought along material and pictures of restorations and it was, as you say, the passion for it that really defines the event? Yeah. The stories that come along with each car from each person and how they got involved with that specific brand of car and that specific model and every little detail that goes into that was just so interesting. It's really the life and times of cars, not just the mechanical aspects of them. It's a reflection of our history as we went through it, as shown by the sorts of vehicles we had and loved. Yeah, definitely. Hmm. Um, And my father came with us on that day and he was telling me the whole day, wow, this is just such a reminiscent moment, pointing out all of these different cars that he used to drive, that he grew up driving, his parents, friends' parents drove. And I think it was really interesting from a generational perspective to see my interest in, oh, that's a cool car, and then talking to my dad who had a real connection with each specific model of those cars and could connect that to memories that he'd had as a child. Do you think it was a trigger for you to have conversations about what it was like in your father's day that you might not have really had the opportunity to have otherwise? Yeah, definitely. It's very interesting to hear about all of the stories of them driving like 200 kilometres an hour, no seatbelts, five kids piled in the back in this little metal car with no seatbelts, no airbags, none of the safety features that come in the cars these days. And he was telling me many stories like that and saying he's surprised that him and his siblings are still alive. And there was the refrain of don't do this at home yes <laughs> it was also lovely for uh, for you to watch young kids tell me about the Porsche tractor yeah definitely so we met a guy who owns three Porsche tractors and he was telling us that it's the only Porsche that he ever um, tells kids to climb all over get photos on. It's the only Porsche you'll ever be able to touch 
and jump all over and just seeing the expression on the kids' faces and the excitement and the joy it brings, even across the generations. We saw young adults there. We saw older people there, little kids, all just admiring this beautiful red tractor. And it really just shows that it's if you can have something that connects to every single generation, then you're obviously doing something right in the way that you're presenting and showing your car or your tractor in this case. Absolutely. And, in fact, it wasn't as if it was just a, a dirty old tractor. He had spent, as he did with all his cars, an intense amount of time to restore it to perfection. Now, you saw it, actually, one of his uh, tractors at a dealership. Yeah. I think the word that he used to describe himself was a Porsche tragic, that he was absolutely just tragic for the Porsche brand, for any Porsche that he's owned, which definitely brings advantages as all of the cars and the tractors that he showed us were restored to pristine condition. They almost looked like they could be brand new. And then uh, as I was driving the other day past the Willoughby Porsche Centre, he had mentioned that one of his tractors uh, is on display there. So as I was driving past, I had a quick little look in the window and I saw it there. So it was nice to then take things from that day and then be able to connect to them mm. in everyday life. Mm. You went with your partner, Sam. Did he uh, um, engage with it as well? Yeah, definitely. He liked all of the Mercedes cars and it was really interesting to see classic sort of Mercedes and then there was someone there in a newer SL500 or SLK something little sports <laughs> car and we they watched them all race and they watched from the start go from the older cars to the newer cars and I think it was really interesting for them um, to see that. Mm. Well, I look forward to uh, hearing your interview with uh, our colleague from the slot car racing and I know that you've also uh, participated in some of our other chats. We had a, a little bit of technical difficulty with one of the microphones and I appreciate your calmness in dealing with that. And I hope uh, that uh, participating with Overdrive is as much fun as it has been for us. So was there one in particular, a car on the day, did that, uh, that uh, took your fancy? Yes. So there was one car on the day that I particularly enjoyed and I took a few photos of as well that I posted on our Instagram and it was a blue Porsche Carrera sitting right next to the big red Porsche tractor <laughs> and it wasn't anything particularly special or different um, from a Porsche but the colour just drew me straight to that car. I love the colour blue, always have any shade variation and seeing it in a car specifically I just love my car is blue as well so any blue car I'm attracted to and it, and it's just great to talk to the owner of that car and hear his passion and he said that it's the only car in Australia that is that color blue which was just an interesting fact to know but mm -hmm. yeah and he's saying that he'd race that car and it's like his baby it's his child <laughs> he loves it now, you said the two together, you know, the, the very old tractor and the modern car. It's often lovely to look at different 
cars from of the same manufacturer but over different times. I think when we went past the Lotus uh, group of people, the first Lotus or land was a little car, like an MX-5, yeah. or perhaps even smaller than that, but later ones were bigger. That juxtaposition of one against the other, that's one of the great benefits of a show like this. Definitely, and it's, and specifically with the Porsche, it's interesting to see we actually got a visual of where Porsche started, how they started in tractors, and now how they've moved up to a very sporty little two-door <laughs> car that zooms around sort of thing compared to they started as a very slow old sit-on tractor. Mm. So, yeah, it's definitely interesting to see, to be able to see where those specific uh, car brands started and then to be able to see where they are now and compare the two. And also with that obviously has come a lot of technological changes. So we saw a Peugeot as we walked in, a really old um, Peugeot, and then I looked in the front windscreen and they had an e-tag sitting <laughs> at the top of the, which obviously would not have existed at all when that car first um came out but now it just goes to show how times have changed that they can still drive a car like that on the road but they need their e-tag to um get their tolls well we know our good friends sharon thompson and terry thompson he uh, is the president of the uh, combined car clubs i haven't given it quite the right title uh has an order of australia for the all the work he's done uh, people put that on it is a great commitment and it obviously reflects in people from every generation being able to have their own experience of looking at and enjoying the car. Listen, thanks for being on board, Lawrence, and uh, we'll look forward to some further reports from you later. Great. Thanks for having me. And that's Florence Fuller now helping us on the Overdrive program, studying communication at Macquarie University and a bit of a rev head, loves Formula One, among other things. You're listening to Overdrive. Audi's S8 competes in a small but important segment of the premium car market. Now often replaced by luxury SUVs, the large luxury saloon segment still allows buyers to have a choice. The S8 is powered by a 4-litre TFSI V8 engine and produces power 420 kilowatts and 800 newton metres of torque from a low 2,000 revs. It accelerates 0 to 100 in just 3.8 seconds and has a limited top speed of 250 kilometres an hour. For the audiophiles, the twin exhaust amplify the awesome V8 burble that enthusiasts love. It's the little things like predictive active suspension that raises the car by 50mm as you approach to make access easier. Rear outer electronic heated seats and ventilated seats. Audi virtual cockpit plus with heads up display. A Bang & Olufsen audio, wireless Apple CarPlay and Android Auto and more. Other features include digital matrix LED headlights that are the best in segment. The Audi S8 4 litre V8 TFSI Quattro is available for orders priced from 273400 plus the usual costs. This is a Motoring Minute. I'm Rob Fraser. You're listening to Overdrive. I went to the Shannon's Classic event, the first time since COVID that they held it at Sydney Motorsport Park. That is where they get together well, upwards of a thousand classic cars from car clubs all over the state and display them there for the public to come and see and then do great touring around on laps 
with old buses and a, a wonderful range of things. Anyway, I took the test car for that week, which was a new 2022 Peugeot 3008. But I saw a car there that I just had to park mine beside and uh, do a bit of a comparison. It was a Peugeot 163. It had been beautifully restored by Brian Jubb, who joins us on the line now. G'day, Brian. Hi, uh, David. What is the car you restored? 1923 Peugeot 163. It's a delivery van uh, that I I uh, came up with. Um, I'm uh, not so young anymore, and <laughs> the car was just a heap of parts, uh, and the body was rusted well beyond saving. So it became, uh, because I'm uh, like 76 now, um, and this was in 2016 I got the parts, and I thought to myself, what am I going to be able to restore in my lifetime? Anyway, uh, I decided to do the panel van because it was a roadster before, and there was no way I would have been able to make a full uh, steel body. It's got a, a lovely little cabin in the front there. It's not very wide, is it? No, not at all. If both of us sat in the front, would that be a bit of a battle? You wouldn't be able to do it. And, of course, you've just made like a van out the back. Beautiful timber work. It's it's lined with timber? Yes, it is. It's the Moranti-type timbers that they would have used, very, very expensive and extremely difficult to get. Hmm. So I made the body out of marine ply, 18 mil thick marine ply, and just laminated it all together with screws and glue, and then I could cut the shapes as I required with minimum waste. The engine, what sort of engine does your little 1923-163 Peugeot have? Well, it's a solid lump of cast iron, and it's all serviced through the bottom. There's no separate heads, but it has access for the cam and the overhead, uh, not overhead valve, the side valves, but you come out of large plugs which hold the spark plugs, but you screw them out and that's how the valves drop down in and there's a side plate to do the valve springs and the clips. But all the rest is a solid block of cast iron and just a flat aluminium plate goes on the bottom just to keep the oil in. The drip-freed petrol, we're used to a carburetor that sort of mixes it carefully, I suppose, and sucks it into the engine. This just sort of drips it in is that is that the way it works it actually runs down but it's connected to the petrol tank you just turn the valve on uh, if you don't turn the petrol off when you're finished you come back and you've got an empty fuel tank so it just keeps running it's supposed to have a needle and seat and so on but it doesn't seal properly <laughs> so she's pretty pretty basic and the cooling of it how does it cool the engine well it has a leather belt off the crankshaft which spins the propeller Right. And uh, it draws air through the radiator. It's one of those brass radiators with a honeycomb. Lucky that it still works perfectly fine because you'd never be able to get another one. How many gears has it got? It's got four forward and and plus reverse. But the strange part about the gearbox is that it's quite reverse to what you normally think. You pull the gear stick towards you, push it forward, and that's first. But you lift the button and push it forward again, and that's reverse. Now, that gets very complicated when you're driving because you're not sure whether you're in or out or... (laughs) 
and so on. I guess it doesn't have much synchromesh. Uh, none. <laughs> it's a full crash gearbox, um, and it and exactly that's what it does. That was a time, of course, wasn't it, where you had to understand the mechanics of it. You had to understand the revs of the engine yes. in order to change gear. Yes, the more I drive it, the vehicle, it, it's getting better. I haven't driven a crash gearbox probably since the early Holden days. Well, it had a crash first gear, but where you had to learn to double shuffle to go into first. Mm. Well, this is double shuffle for the lot. You know, we've been spoilt for quite a while, so it's just a matter of getting back into the habit of listening to the engine revs. What's its top speed? Well, it does between 60 and 65 k's an hour uh, flat out. <laughs> so it wasn't designed for beautiful roads. I mean, you've got to think of France after the war, and that's what it was designed for. The First World War, I mean. <laughs> Non-existent roads. It has only elementary dials on the dashboard, doesn't it? Oh, what does it have? Like, it doesn't have a fuel gauge or anything. Oh. It just has a, a speedo, trip meter, an amp meter, and that's it. You wouldn't have had any warning lights or things like that. No, no. The warning for the water is the steam coming out of the top. You you know that. <laughs> yeah. Or if it's got other problems, it's smoke. So <laughs> that's about the extent of it. I love the fact that you guys are maintaining that heritage that you're letting us have an understanding. I I saw it with the guy who had the 1953 Porsche tractor. Oh, yes. yes. I'd interviewed him some years ago, and we, we're catching up with him as well. But the point about it was the, the kids love it. Yes. Now, the parallel I have with that is if you go to a, along a country road and it, it shows you a, a railway-level crossing, it typically has a, a silhouette of a steam train. Yes, there's not a young kid around who's likely to have seen one in real life, yet it has that romance and a sort of element to it. Do the kids love your little Peugeot? Yes, they do. I'm, I'm rather... I toot the klaxon horn. It's a genuine French klaxon horn that came with the car. You talked about the brakes. <laughs> what brakes? A full set of ventilated discs, is it? Yeah, ventilated discs all round. That's right. <laughs> not. No, uh, I'm afraid it's not quite like that, but it's only got uh, drum brakes on the rear, and they're all rod, mechanical rod driven. And what is interesting about the rear brakes is it has four brake pads in the back. Two are for the foot brake, and two of the same size, identical size, go to the handbrake. So the idea to stop it, if you need to, is you put your foot on the brake and pull the handbrake on at the same time, and that gives you double braking. No brakes on the front wheels at all. And even with that extra boost from the handbrake, it still doesn't stop very well either. So it's all a matter of being damn careful. Brian, it was lovely to be there. I had been testing a Peugeot van, but I didn't have it that day. If I had have known, I might have swapped the order around and turned up with a van beside it. But maybe we might do that at a later date. Brian, thank you again, and thank you very much for your time. Right, thank you, David, for the chance to have a chat. And that was Brian Jubb, who has restored a 1923 Peugeot 163 van, a panel van, has the word Peugeot cycles down the side. It has a wonderful sense of memory and history, and it was a great example at the Shannon's Classic. You're listening to Overdrive. 
Toyota added a hybrid version to its hugely successful RAV4 range in 2019 and updated with an expanded range in November 2021. I spent a week in the RAV4 Cruiser all-wheel-drive hybrid priced from $48,000 plus usual costs. The hybrid comes with a 2.5-litre four-cylinder petrol engine with an electric motor generator that drives through a six-step CVT. Opting for all-wheel drive adds a second electric motor on the rear axle bringing combined output to 163 kilowatts, while also adding trial mode function that alters things to maximise traction in slippery conditions. As you would expect, the economy is outstanding and we averaged around 5.5 litres per 100 kilometres on our tests. The RAV4 Cruiser also comes with three-stage front seat heating and ventilation with eight-way power adjustment for the front seats. Inside, the Cruiser comes well-equipped and is a quiet and comfortable place to be. They are easy to live with, economical, comfortable and practical. This is Motoring Minute. I'm Brianna Fraser. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Jeff Willem, Florence Fuller, Sharon and Terry Thompson and Paul Just for their great help with the program. Overdrive is syndicated across Australia on the Community Radio Network. For more information, go to drivenmedia.com.au. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening. <laughs>